so good to be in God's house with you guys today. I'm really excited to share the word with you guys today. Um, this is a, a message that I felt got birthing in my heart for quite a while, and then my husband asked me if I would like to share, and, and I felt ready. Um, so today we're talking about the transforming power of God. Who I was is not who I am. And, um, you know, as we talk about transformation, we, transformation is a good thing, right? How many of you guys have ever set out for a bad transformation? I don't know anybody who went for a makeover and said, make me look as ugly as you can. Or I don't know of anybody who went to transform a house that was dilapidated and said, man, I want you to make this house much worse than it is right now. No, transformation is for the purpose of beautification, right? Transformation happens when someone walks into a room and they say, I see potential in this mess. One of my favorite shows to watch is Fixer Upper. Any Fixer Upper fans? I love me some Chip and Joanne. I could watch that show for hours and then I just want to take down every wall in my house. Um, so anyways, transformation happens when somebody has a vision for the future. And I want you guys to know, although I love Fixer Upper, my favorite transformation is the transformation of a life. When you can look at someone and say, man, that is not the same person that they, that they used to be. Like, this person has changed. And so um, as we get started, can we just bow our heads for just a moment and ask for the Lord to come and, and minister during this message? So, God, I just welcome you here today, and I thank you so much for what you've already done, Lord, for the way that you've come as we've worshiped, for the hearts that you've ministered to, God. I thank you that you're near and God, I ask for your anointing and your equipping as I speak your word this morning, God. Father, I'm wholly dependent upon you. And I thank you, God, that you speak to every heart. Open every heart to receive today, God. Let every one of us walk away, Lord, with fresh vision from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So to start today's message, I just want to talk, um, share a little bit of my story. Some of you have heard the whole story. I'm not going to share the whole story today. I'm going to share some parts of it. Uh, but, you know, the first time that I can recall experiencing the transforming power of God, I was 11 years old, and um, this had happened to me a couple times before, but it happened this time again, and I, I would all of a sudden lose my hearing. I don't know what this was, but all of a sudden, uh, my hearing, I would just start to hear, like, in my hearing, my vision would get very blurry, and I would pass out, so... The last time that I can recall that happening actually happened once when I was pregnant with Kayla, but that's because I hadn't ate. But anyways, um, the last time I can recall this happening as a child, I was 11 years old, and my mom found me in my bedroom. Uh, my bedroom was upstairs, and I was passed out uh, in my bedroom, and she, like, woke me up. I, I, I came to, and she brought me into the bathroom, and she laid hands on me, and she said, uh, she prayed for healing, and I just, re I can remember, so I could actually remember this moment like it was yesterday, when she said, in the name of Jesus, it was like all of a sudden, a current of power, of like electricity, felt like it just f like flooded my body, and I actually like physically like flew back like probably a foot I was standing in front of the toilet and I just remember like flying back and was like like whoa <laughs> that that was that was power like that was Jesus and so that's the first memory that I can recall of experiencing the transforming power of God in a way that was so tangible now I I wish I could say to you guys that like that uh moment like 
did a complete transformation. Like, it brought me from darkness to light because I was living in a state of darkness in that time, as young as I was. And, but it didn't. But what it did was it left an imprint in my heart that said there is a real God who loves you and cares about you. There is a real God. And so, you know, through the, the next several years of my life, as I walked in darkness and as I walked in brokenness, there was this whisper continually behind me that said, there is a God. He is real and he loves you. And that whisper could never be faded. I could be in a car with everyone arguing about, is there really a God? And who is he? And deep within me, there was a seed that said, yes, there is a God, and his name is Jesus, because he touched me. So no one could change my mind or take that away from me. I had experienced the power of God, but as I said, I was living in a state of darkness. So I was actually probably about 12 years old, maybe 13 when that happened. Um, but at the age of 11, I was like every 11-year-old little girl. I was a girl. I was a very young girl. And I got invited to come to a friend's house. I didn't really know her, actually, but I just met her. She lived in my neighborhood. And um, I was invited to come and spend the night. And I asked, and my mom said, sure. And, and so I went. And I had no idea what to expect. I had never been to this girl's house. But I walked into her house. And for the sake of children, I don't want to describe everything that was happening in the house. But the things that were happening were horrendous. Like things that you would never expect to walk into a house, unless maybe you were watching a movie and there was a very bad scene in the movie. So I walked into this very bad scene in a movie and I experienced trauma that night. And I didn't know or have the knowledge or the power to know that the same way my two feet brought me into that house, I could have walked out. So for every young person in the room, I want to tell you, if you ever walk into a scene where there's something that makes you feel like, I do not belong here, take your two feet and walk out of the room as quickly as you came in. I didn't know that. So I stayed in that house that day and I experienced trauma. And there was a part of me after that night that felt like it shut down. I was, I've been thinking about this this week and like, how do I, God, how do I explain what happened? I don't, I don't have the words to explain what happened. I've, I've taken a few classes. I'm just doing foster care about trauma and what it does to the brain. And so I understand how it, that it really does affect and impact the brain. But if the only way that I can think of it is like, there was this soft person, right, like this pliable person that was, and all of a sudden, because of the trauma that night, there was a shell that formed around that person, and it became Im impenetrable, and so the next, I was 11, so the next, I gave my life to the Lord fully at 16, and I'm going to get there and experience his power and love, but for the next several years, I lived a life of complete recklessness, like there was nothing that was too crazy that I that for me to do like because I didn't care that trauma had broke who I was and so from then on I just I, I really didn't care like I, I had people hold guns between my eyes I had bullets flash across my face I lived in the ghetto if you're like where does that happen it happens in the ghetto in Vegas that's where I was raised in Las Vegas Nevada but like it didn't matter how dark a situation it was or how crazy it was I just it was like I didn't care. I was numb. I was shut down. It was like something was frozen. They say when something like a trauma happens, there's freeze or flight. Another thing that can happen is, um, or fight or fight or flight. Another thing that can happen is freeze. And it was like there was something within me that was frozen until at the age of 16, 
I had moved at this point to Florida. And um, because I was so crazy, I got to a point where I couldn't live with my family anymore. And this wonderful woman who knew the power and the love of Jesus said, had never met me, said, this girl can come and live with me. So I was that girl. And I came and lived with this precious family. I slept on the couch. They didn't have an extra room for me. But they treated me like I was welcome. Sunday morning rolls around, and uh, she invites me to church. And, like, I believed in God. Of course I wanted to go to church. And I'm experiencing love through them. I get in this small storefront building that held maybe 60 people. And God's presence was so tangible, guys like it was today as we were worshiping. But I came in so broken and wounded, and next thing you know, I just, I'm weeping and weeping as people are singing and singing, and I'm just weeping and weeping. And, you know, I think it was a combination of repentance, of just like, you know, like holiness, like God is here, and I'm broken, and I'm a sinner. But I can at the same time feel this powerful love that wanted to, like, set me free and heal me, and I didn't know what to do with that, so I just wept. But at the pulpit stood this little man (laughs) named Arthur Lee, who grew to be like a daddy to me, And Arthur Lee looked across the church of of people, and he saw the girl weeping. And he began to speak a word of God, that a word of God is like an inspired word that we get from the Lord, as Chuck came and shared that with you today. So Arthur began to speak this inspired message to me, and I have no idea what he said. It could have been apple pie. I really don't remember. But it was something transformational and powerful, and my body hit the floor. It wasn't like somebody talked to me and said, oh, when God's power hits you, you know, somebody might stand behind you and you may fall. No, I just hit the floor. I fell to the floor. And again, I experienced the transforming. We're talking about the transforming power of God. Again, I experienced the transforming power of God. And as I laid there weeping, guys, I saw Jesus. He showed me himself, a broken 16-year-old girl. He showed me who he was. He wasn't ashamed of me. He, he stood before me in that vision as I saw him, and he was covered in light before I knew that the Bible says he's clothed in light. He was covered in light, and he reached out his arms of mercy and compassion, and he drew me in. And I was never the same. I was never the same because we serve a God of transformation. And what he is making is something wonderful and beautiful. And like, unlike the house that is being transformed, there is a part that we have. And I'm going to talk about those parts today. Because like a house, when there's transformation, sometimes there's old walls that need to come down. Sometimes there's old floors that need to be ripped out until God can get to the pure place of how many of you love when when all of a sudden they go to like pull out a floor and fix her upper or whatever show you're watching and there's these beautiful hardwood floors. You know, like within every one of us is like that beautiful hardwood floor, that place that just needs to be restored. And so, you know, as we jump in today, I want to talk about Three ways that God transforms us. The first way is by the power of his presence. The power 
of his presence. The presence of God is the nearness of God, friends. It's when God is revealed to us. And we can experience God's presence in so many ways. Sometimes God's presence may feel you're just worshiping, and you just kind of feel goosebumps all over. Sometimes it may feel like electricity or heat. Or sometimes it's just this awareness, this solemn awareness that, God, you're in the room. And you're here right now as I'm speaking to you. Sometimes there's a picture that pops into your head. I've actually experienced God's presence in an aroma. Sometimes that's like a smell that comes into the room. A beautiful smell. It's always a good smell. But God is a God of presence. He's a God of substance. And he loves to reveal himself to his people. So you guys know that we can actually enter the presence of God. Jesus made a way for us to come into the presence of God. See, this transformation that I just shared with you, it happened in a moment. But the truth is there's actually transformation that happens in a moment, and there's transformation that happens through the long course of time. As my husband said, you know, There's a work that God continually wants to do in you and in I. It doesn't have to be that, man, I'm a drug addict, so I need transformation. I need to get some free. It could be, man, I have a real problem with anxiety. Or I have a real problem with performance. But whatever it is, God is doing a transforming work within you. And the first thing you need is you need his presence. You say, how do you get into his presence? The key to his presence is worship. It's worship. It's just saying, God, I love you and I need you. And you can come into his presence anytime. This past week, as Jeff said, we were doing some sanitizing, some cleanup. I came into the nursery to do a little bit of work in there, and I didn't really feel like coming. <laughs> How many of y'all ever feel like sanitizing your house or anything else for that matter? So but I didn't really feel like it, but I thought, you know what? I'm here. I might as well make this time count, right? And so I began to just praise the Lord, and I began to pray for the babies of the church and the families of the church. And next thing you know, guys, right in the nursery room, as I'm sanitizing, my hands filled with Clorox wipes, God comes in, and I can just feel his presence surrounding me in such a powerful way. You have the ability to enter the presence of God anytime and any place. All you got to do is come with a heart of expectancy. There are a couple things that will hinder you from entering the presence of God, and that is bitterness and unforgiveness. I actually know, like if I'm mad at my man, I love my man. He's a great man. But if I'm ever mad at him, which does happen on occasion, believe it or not, I can feel, I feel hindered from God. Like if I haven't forgiven him yet, if I haven't got to that place, I can feel that hindrance within me. Like there's something hindering me from from being in the lap of my papa. And I don't, I don't want to be there. So you know what I got to do, guys? I got to run back to my man and I got to say, baby, I love you and I forgive you. So you got to get rid you got to get rid of bitterness and unforgiveness. It's never worth denying yourself of the pleasure of the presence of God. Amen. Um, <clears throat> the presence of God has a way of changing us. The presence of God is for the power of revealing to us both who God is and who we are. How many of you remember when Jesus was transformed on the, and, and, on the mountain and the Father came and he spoke and he said, this is my beloved son. That when you're in the presence of God, God will say, this is who you are. 
So you need the presence of God, my friends. The second uh, place where transformation happens is in the Word of God. That uh, those moments that I experienced God as a girl, you know, they, the work wouldn't have continued if I would have only went to church that Sunday and had that great encounter with God. But if that was it, there wouldn't have probably been a whole lot of fruit. Like, I had to dig in and not just come that Sunday, but Sunday after Sunday. And then Monday through Saturday, I needed to be worshiping. I needed to be in the word of God. But you know what? Where before it felt like work, now it was my joy to get into the word of God. I was hungry to know God. I had tasted and seen that he was good, and I wanted to know him more and more. And that came through me digging and being willing and being obedient to do the things that he was asking me to do. So the power of the word, Romans 12, 2, says, don't copy, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Everybody say it, good and pleasing and perfect is the will of God for you. But you've got to actually learn it. You've got to actually be transformed. We've got to get into the word of God and not just go to his word for information, but we have to go to it for the purpose of transformation. We have to go to the word and look at it as a mirror and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you building in me? What are you doing in me? And you've got to get a vision for it. If there is something that you see in the word of God, my friends, it is for you. It's not just for your brother or your friend or Sally that sits behind you. It is for you. Every promise that God gives us in his word to create a person that is powerful and able to make a difference upon the earth, it is for you. But you've got to go to the word of God with that knowing that this is my time with you and you are speaking to me. And then you've got to take what you read and you've got to meditate on it. You've got to get it in your heart, and the Holy Spirit, who is so good, will pull it in the moments of time in your daily life. He'll pull it from that deep treasure of your heart, and he'll say, remember, daughter, what I said. Remember, son, what I said about you. Remember that I said that when you go through tribulation, when you go through triumph, when you go through loss, I will be there. And so hope begins to rise from the inside of you as you can recall and as you can remember the word of God. And as you, as you know, it is not just for some person reading it. It is the perfect word of God. It is the perfect will of God. And it is for me. Amen? Amen. The third way that God transforms our life is discipleship. I'm learning more about discipleship. I want to get really good at discipleship, guys. You know, Jesus said to the followers, to those people he chose, he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When you become a disciple of God, you're, that just means a follower. It means a student. I'm going where you go. I'm doing life with you. When you become a follower, a disciple of God, there is something that God is making inside of you. There is something that God is doing inside of you. I recently, we started listening to a video series on discipleship just recently, and I heard discipleship called or explained this way. They said discipleship is the long walk. And I loved that. It felt kind of beautiful. 
kind of lyrical, you know, like, discipleship is the long walk. And I say yes and amen to that. Discipleship is doing life with somebody. So, you know, as I think, every one of us are called both to be a disciple and to make disciples. Amen. So being a disciple is being a student. Those, those moments after I gave my life to Christ, there wasn't one person that I could say, like, this one person discipled me. I was actually discipled by many. There were many people around me that knew things that I didn't know, that experienced God in deeper and greater ways that I hadn't experienced. And I just became a learner of all those people. When there was times of prayer, I would go in and I would just listen until all of a sudden I felt the strong enough and I felt bold enough to begin to echo those prayers. And I learned to pray like them by sitting underneath them as they prayed. I learned what to do in difficult moments because there were people in the body of Christ that surrounded me that I could reach out to and I could actually pick up the phone and call and say, I am feeling this way. What do I do now? And they would point me to Jesus, who is the one that transforms us, right? So discipleship is the long walk. It's doing life. It's saying, you know what? I am committed to doing life with you, whether you fail or whether you succeed. When you're doing good, I'm going to stand behind you. When you're doing bad, I'm still going to stand with you. I'm not going to walk away. That is discipleship. And friends, we are called to both be disciples and to make disciples. You've got to begin to find people who will be your Paul, your Silas, and your Timothy. Paul was the one who was pouring into Timothy. Who, is your, who are your Pauls? Who are the people that you see something in that you're like, I need to get around them? And then make an effort, take some steps to get around them so that they can speak into your life so you can pull from those treasures within them heart and get within their hearts and get them working in your life. Who are your Silas's, the people that stand beside you and will do the same things that you're doing that when one of you feels weak, they can just lift you up and say, come on, brother, come on, sister, we're going to keep doing this. And who are your Timothy's? Who are the people, if you're not pouring into someone, you've got to find someone. Find someone who's not saved. Find someone who's not polished at all. Get around them. You know, they don't have to receive Jesus before you can disciple them. Did you know that? I'm really kind of just learning that. Like, I've always had a heart for the unsaved and um, reached out to people. But God is changing the way I think about some particular things. And one of them is this matter, is to disciple somebody. Really, Jesus, when he went to the disciples, he didn't, um, he didn't talk them into realizing that he was the Messiah first. He just said, come and walk with me. Come and follow me. So we have to find some people that are willing and say, come, let's do life together. And as you're walking together, you're continually pointing them to Jesus. You're continually showing them the one who has the power to save, heal, and deliver them. Amen? This is discipleship. Uh, Discipleship happens during times of pressure, hardship, and loss. Pressure, hardship, and loss. Because remember, discipleship is the long walk. Pressure. There are so many kinds of pressure that we feel. There's the pressure of responsibility. I feel that one. I feel it often. There's the pressure. Some people have a pressure. They feel like they have to perform. 
free from that one. <laughs> I'm not walking in that one right now. <laughs> Pressure to, uh, to please. Pressure to pay the bills. All kinds of pressure. I want to read to you something that God says about pressure. Psalms 91, verses 14 through 15. This is so beautiful. I'm reading this out of the Passion. It says, Because you delighted in me as my greatest lover, I have chosen to greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray. And you will find and feel my presence, even in your time of pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero and give you success. Friends, when you feel pressure, whether it's the pressure of getting your work done and taking care of your home, whether it's the pressure of responsibility, whatever kind of pressure it is, you need to turn. You've got to turn, and you've got to look to the Father, and you've got to get in that position that we got in today where we were on our knees and hands extended, and you've got to look to him and say, God, I need you. I'm feeling pressure, and you've got to get the perspective of the Father in that moment. When you have his perspective, it will change things. When you have perspective, you can have rest in the middle of a very hard situation. The other thing that I mentioned is loss. Or, and the other, before that, I mentioned hardship. Brian Simmons said, only hardship can turn sons into soldiers. I love that. Only hardship can turn sons into soldiers. We see this in Exodus where the Lord said that he led the people of Israel out like an army. They were slaves, but as they walked through their hardship with God, they were led out not in the bondage of slavery, but in the place of an army. They became an army under the hardship of tyranny. When we are going through moments, guys, that are hard, when all of a sudden your car breaks down, your fridge stops working, and your dryer stops working all on the same day, you've got to turn to God and you've got to say, Lord, I trust you right now in this moment. Lord, right now you are my provider. You are the one I look to. And you know what? If you've got to hang your clothes across the family room like Jeff and I did this past year for a little while, it'll be okay. You're still breathing, you're still living, you're still moving, and you've got a God who's a great provider. If all of a sudden somebody that you love turned their back on you and you felt the woundedness or betrayal, you can turn to God and say, God, you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother, and my heart is steady in you. Every time you walk through hardship or pressure and you turn to God, and you worship him, and you make him your hiding place, and you go to his presence, and you pull on his word, you are being transformed. You are being changed. You're being beautified. You're being made new. You're going from a slave to being a soldier. You're going from being an orphan to being a son. God is doing a transforming work, and it happens in the place of hardship, pressure, and loss. And the last one that I mentioned is loss. I feel like sometimes that can be the hardest one, right? 
and something happens, and all of a sudden you have a million unanswered questions. There's nobody that can, you know, guys, I've, I have to just be honest. Like, I've experienced loss. I lost my dad that was never really there for me at the age of 15. He was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And so as a little girl, I always had this hope that one day he'll change and he'll be the daddy I always dreamed of. And at 15, I got off of a school bus to the words of, I'm sorry, your dad died. And I took off running. I went into flight. I started, I don't even know what happened. All of a sudden, I started running down the road. I ran until I passed out, and I woke up with the ambulance beside me. I had experienced such loss. And that's not the only time, friends, I've experienced loss since then. But you know what? You know what I do when all of a sudden there's something that happens that I just can't explain? People will come, and they'll tell you things to try to encourage, their heart, encourage your heart. And they mean well, and sometimes it is well. Sometimes the things that they say are helpful. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they just don't really know what to say. But you know what I found is that really no one can make sense of loss sometimes. Sometimes there's just no sense to be made of what happened, what's happened. But the thing that you can do that will cause transformation is you can get down on your knees in the middle of all your unanswered questions, in the middle of all your broken pieces. You can extend your hands, and you can open up that heart and keep it soft. Not let that outer crust get hard again. And you can say, God, although I don't understand, I still love you. And I still believe that you love me. You know, after Arthur Lee died, he was the one that I said became like a dad to me later, later in years. Um, and he died a very tragic death of cancer, but he was a man of character and integrity and faith the whole journey. So he's still my hero. Anyways, after his loss, I was so, like, undone because here was this man who he was, like, a father of faith to me like he was an overcomer he just had such faith and so when this happened there was something within me that crumbled and I had a really hard time like believing God or trusting again and it really had to come to I, I almost felt unloved and it had to come to a place where I said God I'm never going to get the why that I need but I know that I need to trust you because I know that you are who you say you are. And so by faith, I began to raise my praises again to God. And you know what I did, friends? I actually watched the video. It was like right around the song that that, the time that that song came out by, um, that said, Oh, How He Loves Us, because I just felt so just broken. And I listened to that song over and over and over again until actually faith began to rise in my heart again that, oh, my daddy, my heavenly daddy does love me. He loves me. And so, friends, you have to fight for your faith after you've experienced loss. You've got to do the things that you know you need to do. You've got to turn to the one who holds the answers. You've got to turn to the Lord who is the healer of the brokenhearted, and you've got to make him your refuge. Amen. And the last thing that I want to share with you, um, I'll do this briefly, are four attitudes of transformation. Four attitudes of transformation. I'm not going to teach on all these, but I'm just going to share them with you. The first attitude that is required for transformation to happen in our life is an attitude of humility. It's saying, I, I don't think I'm the wisest in the room. I have something to learn. 
and it may be from a little child. It's going in and saying there are people around me who are made in the image and in the likeness of God, and I don't consider myself above any one of them. And when you have a heart of humility, you can be a learner. You can be a student in any situation and in any place surrounded by any group of people. Amen. So the first attitude is humility. The second is hunger. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You've got to have a hunger in your heart that says, God, I want you. I want to know you, and I'm going to do what it takes to be satisfied. I'm going to seek you, and I know that when I seek you, I will find you. Amen. So the second attitude is hunger. The third is submission. Matthew 16, 24 says, give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. This is what Jesus said. It is necessary if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, it is necessary to give up our own way and to take up our cross and to follow him. And friends, sometimes that means doing the hard thing, the thing that you don't feel like doing. It means that, you know what? God, I know you may be asking me to give up this luxury or this amount of time that I spend on TV. Or God, you may be asking me to turn away from this relationship or this activity. But I understand that I will do it and I will obey because I gave my life to you. And that means complete abandonment from my own will in my own way. It means I live surrendered. Amen. And the fourth attitude is perseverance. The Bible says of Joseph, who I feel like if someone is someone we can look at, we can look at his life and we can see a life of perseverance. The Bible says of him that the Lord tested Joseph until the time of fulfillment came. Actually, let me let me say it the way the word says. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. So we have to be a people that are willing to do the hard things a long time. Amen. We've got to be obedient and we've got to be worshipers and we've got to be seekers of God for the long haul. Joseph had a dream from God, yet he was thrown into a pit and made a slave, forgotten in a prison. Yet one day, it was Joseph's time. It was time for Joseph's dream to be fulfilled, and God called him out of that prison and made him a savior to the whole world at that time. Listen, friends, there's got to be something in us that has pure determination that says, I will not be moved. I will serve God with every breath and every fiber of my being. I will do the things that he's calling me to do, and I will trust him that the work that he is doing in my life is a good work because he's a good God. Amen.